Where do you want to go? Home. This is your home. You're dead. Dead? No. Alive. He's hurt my back. I'm not dead. What are you then? I'm alive. Then what are you doing here? out of here you've been killed don't you remember hello everyone this is editor in the future chris figs to warn you at the beginning of the show that for say maybe 15 minutes uh blake's audio sucks um yeah thanks for listening okay fellas let's get into this bad boy hello and welcome to midweek matinee i'm your host this week brett beck and we are going to be discussing the 1990s psychological horror Jacob's Ladder, not the remake that I think is from 2017. So if you are listening to this, just know that if you've not seen this movie, you should probably not listen. But if you want to, <laughs> hey, throw caution to the wind. I'm not going to bother you. This week, I am joined, as I most often am, by my three compadres here. I want to start off by throwing a big shout out to our editor in chief here, Mr. Chris Figs. How are you, sir? Doing well. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. I hope all your PS3 woes are behind you and that we'll see. smooth gaming from here on. World at War has not loaded up yet. I think Dante's Inferno might be a fluke. <laughs> mm. Well, hey, you know, a fluke is more than just a fish in the sea, if you get what I'm saying. Wow. So, uh, I actually can't remember the real Kevin quote, so that's just where I'm going to go. <laughs> sure, man. <laughs> from the office. I don't remember that quote. <laughs> Yeah, he, saw, he talks about the fluke being, because actually a fluke is, just for any listeners going, a fluke is a flounder fish called a summer flounder that is referred to as a fluke. Huh. So if you're a big Office fan, it's been a little bit since I've rewatched it, then you will know the quote in question. Or if I you're don't a fluke, big you know, fan of that's marine true. Fish. Oh, I know what it is. The f- <laughs> a fluke is one of the most common fish in the sea, so if you go fishing for a fluke, chances are you just might catch one. <laughs> <laughs> it's the episode where they go to the, uh, where they're the Einsteins and they're doing the trivia at the gay bar. Mm. Gotcha. Good, solid episode. But <laughs> alongside me, other office of aficionado, Mr. Blake. Hello, how are hello. you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I noticed I didn't give you a last name, but I just don't want people being like Pops, Pop, the Pope, Pope, the Pope, Pope. It's just, it's just Popster. Yeah, so. exactly. That's actually the original German pronunciation. I'm very yes, proud of you. Thank you. Okay, and last but certainly not least, Joshua Lago. How are you, sir? Uh, I mean, I'm better now that I'm looking up pictures of flukes because something about them having both eyes on one side of their face just makes me laugh. <laughs> it's just really goofy. That's looking. absolutely true. Have y'all seen the fish that have human teeth? Yeah. No, yeah. They're super weird. But if you've not seen that listener, whoever you may be, go look up fish with human teeth. It'll blow your mind and also <sighs> slightly disturb you. There's something weird about seeing a, a fish with human teeth. It looks like a science experiment gone way wrong. It, it's disturbing. 
I don't know, Josh. I don't know why this has just hit my head, but have you ever had someone compare your name to Morcielago from Lamborghini? Uh, yes and no, because uh, a descendant, like I, I don't know, one of my I guess ancestors, not descendant. Um, my grandfather's dad or his grandfather's name is Marcielago, and it was like a whole like long ass like actual Italian sounding name. And then by the time it got to me, it was just like, yeah, you're just white and uninteresting. <laughs> you're just Joshua. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm Josh. Right, well, gentlemen, starting this thing off and probably here's the thing. If I'm not mistaken, this is one of the first times, but not the first time, I don't think, that this is a movie that going in, none of us had seen, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to start it off this I, I like this on movies where you just don't know what the answer is going to be. Because, like, you know, often whenever we do an episode where I've seen it or Blake's seen it, and part of the reason we chose it is because we know we love it, it's kind of interesting to have it to where none of us are quite sure as to how the other one feels about it. So I'm going to start the round table all over again and give it to Mr. Figs first. What did you think of the movie, sir? Uh, I thought it was good. I actually, um, I really enjoyed it. I, I think... I think it was a movie that was like trying to be really twisty and turny and it didn't for me at all which kind of took me out of it a little bit but other than that I thought I really enjoyed it I thought Tim Robbins was great in it so something about this movie is I did not realize until now just how tall Tim Robbins is I don't know why it's this movie in particular I think it was partially his co-star and his girlfriend Jezebel I was like she's also incredibly short so when you put those two together he looks like Bigfoot walking around. You know what I mean? <laughs> so definitely has that going for it. But so Chris, just so I'm making sure uh, you're saying that the twist didn't really hit for you. So despite enjoying the movie, it trying to pull back and be like, Oh yeah, here's the big twist. It didn't just, it didn't catch you the same way. No, not at all. I thought it was okay. just so obvious personally. Well, I think that that's relatively fair. And also part of the interesting part about watching this movie more more than 30 years after it came out <laughs> yeah. so that's one of those things okay moving along then uh mr blake what do you think yeah i really liked it too um i think it was a bit of a chore to watch like i didn't not enjoy it but some of it i was kind of like all right let's kind of move it along a little bit i guess really yeah, i, I also that. didn't think that the twists were very like good because i think there were like multiple where it's kind of like is he dreaming? Is he not dreaming? But, mm-hmm. like, I almost always kind of knew when he was dreaming or not dreaming. Yeah. Like, it was kind of obvious, I guess. I don't know. Huh. I, okay. I mean, I guess that's fair. And like I said, I think one of the things that naturally happens in filmmaking is that this movie, probably being very groundbreaking from when it came out, has clearly been an inspiration piece for a lot of movies after it. And I think we're so used to twist culture to the point that we're used to actually identifying directors off of whether or not they're very twisty or not. <laughs> so I think it does take things like that where we're a little more geared because i notice i'm like that with a lot of new cinema where i'm very quick to guess what's happening because it feels like most twists have been done so there is that but i was really curious at your take on this blake since this existed closer to one of your more preferred genres in horror though of course it did it in a 
very psychological driven way, but this is one of those moments where a lot of the times I feel like psychologically driven movies are actually just like what I call a psychological thriller. But I do think this movie skirts a little bit more onto horror here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, I felt like it did more than some movies where it's just, of course, you're you're seeing psychological psychological torture, but it's all based in reality. Like you know, Saul being terrifying because it feels like it could really happen is truly you know one of the great things about it. But it also feels just like watching a thriller of someone doing something you wouldn't expect. Whereas this movie kind of existed in that area of what's real and what isn't real. And I think that that adds a different element of horror than just being essentially disgusted by what you're seeing on screen. Uh, (laughs) But that moves us over to the last person here. Mr. Josh, how did you like the movie? Uh, I dug it overall. I, I enjoyed the dream aspects. I enjoyed the kind of long unfurling of both, uh, you know, Jacob's sanity and just the whole reveal of different elements of like, you know, what was really going on here? Uh, I think, yeah, as you guys have mentioned, uh, they aren't the biggest, most shocking twists, but I think the way that they're shown and the way that they're led up to is done well enough that like, I'm totally okay with, you know, not being like, jaw agape at like i never would have seen that coming like i I feel like the way it executes is done well enough for me to be like cool this is fine um Mm -hmm. i really dug some of the uh the cinematography choices there were a lot of scenes that really struck me especially ones where it kind of ramped up this sort of uh mixture of nightmare and uncertain reality paranoia kind of thing uh, sure. I think especially uh, as it got later on into the movie and started messing with some of the uh, like mental institution settings, uh, it, it's hard not to be deeply fucked up whenever you're dealing with a, especially like a 70s or 80s era mental institution. So uh, there was a lot there that is like, because I've watched other movies that kind of dealt with this, and it honestly reminded me a little bit of like Shutter Island in some ways. Um, but Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because one of the reasons I've actually wanted to watch this movie is that I often hear whenever I've seen and spoken with people or watched videos that were in regards to Shutter Island again, as we were talking earlier, I really enjoyed that movie. It's one of my it's one of my favorite movies, actually. I really love that movie. Mm. And I often would hear, I've never heard of this movie, actually, until I was talking with different people about it. And they would often bring up Jacob's Ladder. And I would always be like, if it was a video, I'd stop it. If I was talking to somebody, I'd be like, please don't tell me anything. But the (laughs) fact that you're bringing it up is clearly interesting. And having watched it, you can see the clear, like, I won't say it's inspired, even though it very well could be, Mm -hmm. but you can see the clear parallels between the two. Uh, And that was really cool for me watching it and coming, because again, Shutter Island's 2008, if I remember correctly, when it originally came out. So you're talking about a movie that was 18 years past, you know, this one. And just how similar they are and how they choose to blur reality with uncertain reality and delusions. And one of my favorite parts of this movie, I guess, as we kind of just bust right into the conversations about it, is I thought that the way they handle transitions, again, maybe not while being like, oh my God, I would have never seen it coming. But it was really, I loved the way they chose to distinct separate what we're being shown in the moment, at least as flashbacks and how they're like a quick and abrupt, snappy kind of jarring transition Mm -hmm. that makes you kind of feel what you're intending to, or what they intend the character to kind of give off to you. 
And then on the other side of that, you have the blurred line between reality and his delusions that kind of exist in this thing of where you're not quite sure what's real, even though, of course, we know what's basic in our reality. But you're you're shown things that are clearly not real, and it's clear that he's not reacting to them. And then when you get later in, where you're seeing all these different things that are a little more realistic, like the car explosion, something that can clearly happen, uh, the guy finding him who was the chemist and telling him what happened, something that again could clearly happen, the guys abducting him in the car. These are things where you start to, because the movie sets it up with the most crazy off-the-wall versions of that, mm-hmm. you start to not trust any of what we're being seen at least through the eyes of what is Jacob's journey throughout this. And I liked that aspect to it because it reminded me a lot of that aspect in Shutter Island where at certain points in the movie, you start to become unsure of the protagonist you followed and what <coughs> it is that he's actually witnessing. So, Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think one of the things I immediately wanted to kind of just – going into the movie, it's impossible to hear the name Jacob's Ladder and not have this sense of clearly there's some biblical relations here and they're leaning heavily into it by having characters that are all named, uh, you know, not all, but a lot of characters that are named after biblical characters being Jacob clearly going towards this and having a titular character that ties in with the Jacob's Ladder reference in the Bible, which is, you know, the, the ladder that, which I guess realistically the name kind of gives away the twist when you think about the biblical story of Jacob dreaming and seeing a ladder to heaven from earth, um, yep. definitely gives you at least a sense of what it was going to be about. So for anybody who's up on their biblical history, I really think that it's even less of a shock as to what happened, but he has his kids, which he, you know, the movie actually makes mention. He has Eli and Jed and Jezebel is the person who his, his love interest that's not his wife as we're going through this. So I thought that was an interesting thing. And I was a little more interested in the fact that despite religion being a clear thing here and being used to kind of motivate the story, it wasn't really too front and center in the story. Like it's there and you have little moments like when he's in the cab and you see the little cross necklace beating up against the, what do they call those inside the taxi? The thing that essentially counts i live in a small town (laughs) (laughs) so i'm not used to thinking about what that is but i think blake may have said it but he's very quiet one other biblical reference in the movie of course tying back in like i said there's little pockets throughout the movie you have the time where he's looking at lou his chiropractor and he mentions to him do you know you look like an angel and of course as the movie continues on he's kind of is the angel that ends up moving along and getting him to go where he needs to be. So very interesting thing there. Did anybody else have anything that they may have picked up on the biblical references or did they have much biblical knowledge going into this? Cause I'm curious how much that may have affected. I had a little hint of what the, the long running twist may be because of the actual story of Jacob's ladder. But I still think like Josh said, they told it in such a way that the journey was good enough to you know, for the ending to not have to be some spectacle of surprise. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the biblical stuff, I was surprised. Like, I mean, obviously I kept the, caught the couple conversations that they had throughout mentioning names and stuff like that. But growing up in the church, I somehow the whole story of like Jacob seeing the ladder, like completely slipped my mind and I had no idea about that. That leads me to a really funny, like story that's kind of off centered a little bit but i was picking up my daughter from school today 
and a daycare bus had just left, and the daycare is called Jacob's Ladder. Oh. I was like, that's a weird fucking name for a daycare. Yeah. But now it makes more sense because I guess it's maybe like Christianity based or something. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you know, a lot of people use the ladder as an example of essentially for that case, I'm sure it's teaching your children the ways of yeah. Christ so that when they do leave the earth, they climb the ladder to heaven. <laughs> I just It just threw me off for a second. I was like, that's weird. <laughs> well, and did you say that that was today that you saw that? Yeah. More weird that it happened around the time that we were doing this. Yeah, for so sure. That's a crazy thing which ties in, and that's been happening to me a lot late, uh, recently. And I know this sounds weird, but I kind of tie this into the movie where when those things happen too often, where you're doing something or thinking of something or discussing something, mm-hmm. and then it goes on, you kind of have that moment where I think a lot of the times, of course, in the 90s when things weren't quite the same it's very easy to kind of make you feel like you're losing your mind. Hmm. And then nowadays, a lot of people chalk it up to, you know, simulation theory that the reason you're seeing it is because we're in a simulation and you were already thinking about it. And there's only so much processing room. So they have to reuse things. (laughs) Uh, Quick side note, but it gave me the feeling of like, it happened two or three times in one day. I know at least two uh, that I can recall. And it weirded me out the rest of the day. I just had this uneasiness about me. So I don't know if that kind of pulled into this movie for me. <laughs> yeah. But there was there's something in relation to The Last of Us 2 where a character collects coins. And the first coin that they collect and find is a Virginia State quarter. Mm. And that's what they they collect quarters in the game. And I was talking to my bud who's playing the game. And he mentioned that part and was saying, I like that they have that character co- collecting quarters. It's just a cool thing. And as we were talking about that, I went to pull my phone out my, of my back pocket, which I apparently had some change in, and a quarter fell on the ground. I went to pick it up, and it was the Virginia quarter. <laughs> oh, and weird. I thought, and I thought, am I remembering this wrong, or is that the first quarter that's that's you know given towards that? And I looked it up, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> that's the Matrix and, is breaking. <laughs> yeah, and that was after earlier in that same day, I was driving back and listening to Coheed and Cambria. And like you do. I was oh, listening yeah. to a fantastic song and the, the the final cut and my buddy, as I was at a stop sign, he had tagged me in a thing because we were talking about Coheed the night before and it was, if I had my way, I'd slam your face in the door, which is a lyric from the song. And as soon as I opened my phone and read it, I was listening to that song and that line was was being said as i was reading it and that shit has just made me like for that whole day and a little bit the next day i was like is shit falling apart Ooh. so i've had that i guess i carried times. that we do live in a simulation there's no question about well it. and look if you think about it right if you try and apply simulation theory to jacob's ladder if you were going to be like well you could say that everything he's experiencing is just a simulation fucking up as it's not that different from looking at the matrix right if you actually think about it a lot of the effects that are in this movie are shot and presented in a much more horrific way but a lot of them are very similar to ones that you see in relation to the um agents in the matrix mm. yeah And if you think about looking at people who don't have faces because the simulation is starting to mess up and needing to be re-explained and morphing into other things, it's not far-fetched to look at that and say, like, you know, if you wanted to, oh, the reason he's doing this is because the simulation is starting to mess up and him passing is actually just him leaving the simulation. (laughs) Yeah. 
simulation theory is really crazy. And I wonder if someone's actually done an in-depth analysis of how Jacob's ladder could essentially be <laughs> simulation theory, just really <laughs> interestingly packed through the lens of religion. Yeah. Oh, that could, could be, trippy. be, I guess. I don't know. I just think it's, yeah, it's very, it's just religious to me. Just the passing on to the next life. No, I understand that. I mean, it was I mean, always really, that. That. There's nothing that anchors to that. So, go ahead, Chris. So I am. Uh, I was curious if you had any pickup because I don't know about y'all. Of course, I know that Blake is in the South, and I'm in the South, and we're in what's called the Bible Belt. Mm. So it's more formerly known as the Confederacy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, thankfully, Texarkana was not around during the Confederacy. So, <laughs> but um, so I thinking about that me viewing this of course christianity is about the whole country but definitely in our age as we're going more and more and uh you know one of the biggest religions on the rise is actually atheism and there's a bunch of stuff going on i am curious of first time viewers who maybe aren't as religious if these things hit them and that's kind of like you know clearly the the story gives you hints towards religion but did you know those things before the story was just like oh eli is a biblical name you know so chris what's your uh what's your historical background in in religion <laughs> i mean i've i'm not religious but i've read a lot about religion so mm-hmm. i don't know i i just i don't know none of that stuff really hit me because the story was to me was just obvious and that to me like i i saw all that stuff but i knew where it was going so it was kind of like oh yeah okay so this is like his purgatory or whatever as he's fighting from the stab wound kind of thing that's just how i kind of took it yeah i think to me the only real twist was the the bz stuff but even then it was kind of like well obviously something like that happened you know yeah yeah i think it was like a quarter of the way through or so me and Haley started to kind of wonder if he was already like dead or dying mm-hmm. and whenever he was at the chiropractor for the second time after the chiropractor like broke him out of the hospital <laughs> and he started scene. talking about a great scene. yeah great scene but he started Sal. talking about you're fighting off your demons or angels depending on how you look at it you know obviously i butchered the quote but yeah mm-hmm. that's when i was like oh he's dead this is what he's doing he's explaining to him what he needs to do to pass on Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, okay, well, then I already know. So well, I, I don't is, know if that was intentional or not because it was very on the nose. Like I don't know how. Well, that that's kind of my point. Exactly what you're saying that it was on the nose is like mm-hmm. it was so obvious because that that was a lot of what the issue I had with this movie was like it was so obvious that they were trying to obfuscate what was going on. <laughs> that like it it annoyed me where i'm like no this is obviously like heaven and hell and maybe i'm just seeing it as them obfuscating it but like the second that he wakes up and he's with his wife and he goes oh that was a nightmare and then he gets the fever i'm like okay this is so like the reality with her is his hell and the reality with his wife and children are his heaven but you know Mm -hmm. so like yeah i just I wish they'd just been more it, it, more of a linear m- movie. <laughs> they were just doing so much extra shit instead of just going straight, you know? Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah, sure. For and sure. I understand that, but I think I look at that as an ambition, again, 
And I think maybe this is something that can be viewed as a positive or a negative for me is that I find it impossible to watch movies. And at least if I was alive or very alive during the relative era to when they were coming out, I look at that movie and go for the nineties and all the other nineties movies I watched up until late nineties, where you start getting movies like being John Malkovich and the matrix and a bunch of movies that do start to play with conventions a little bit more. I think in 1990, this movie was quite revolutionary and probably did throw people for a loop when they weren't constantly being given stories that are doing this. Now, of course, it is on the nose in some ways to where I do, like, you know, the scene Blake talked about where he's in, it, it's clear at that point, And they had, it's one of those, like, set up payoff moments where he sets up the, yeah, have I ever told you you're like an angel? And then later in the movie, it's revealed that that's essentially what he is. Mm. Yeah, and mm. he's kind of going between this thing. And if you think about it, he's the person who pulls him and says like, you know, this is what you need to do to get to heaven. So essentially what he's saying, and he rescues him from the brief moment where he's being pulled into hell. And I, I like that the movie does a lot to kind of, if, if you're the attentive watcher, it will definitely, even definitely in the nineties, you'd be, Excuse me. If you saw that, you'd be more. Again, if you didn't feel it coming, the movie does give you tips. Like you know, he's reading the book and he's flipping through and seeing pictures of the angels and demons battling, and he looks and he he bookmarks a page that says purgatory or something to that you know relation. So you're already given hints that this is very likely a purgatory, mm-hmm. along with everything else that's happening. So while I agree that you know it's it's at least in watching it in 2020 where you don't. You can't separate from the all the movies you've seen since then that have maybe done a better job or a similar job and just have worn you down to your ability to be surprised by things because you can more easily sniff them uh, out. I don't know. I don't really... In that range of giving it the benefit of the doubt as if I were in the 90s and looking at other media in that time and seeing that this was probably very revolutionary, but as is true with yeah. all revolutionary things, they eventually become more they still they remain good always but they eventually stop being revolutionary because yes. i don't but I, I don't really understand I don't know that this is revolutionary then yeah like I, the, the thing is it's i can't not, know for sure i mean obviously i can't know for sure i wasn't quite born yet and i didn't live <laughs> well me neither but, but you know well but the thing is like it's not that it's not a revolutionary movie it was just i just don't like, it was just storytelling stuff that was mm-hmm. my thing I don't really know what that has to do with the time and place, personally, because it's just like they could have told the story better. And I'm not saying I, I they didn't I mean tell time it badly. And place within medium, right? Because one of the yeah, things but, is that you're an avid reader and you're also a writer, so you're looking at this very differently. Yeah, sure, but that I don't know. I don't think that would have changed if we just put us back to when it originally started. They'll still be doing the same thing. I'm not saying like for everyone, it was obvious to tell. I could tell, but I also mm-hmm. know, you know, the re- a little bit of religious stuff, and I also just, <laughs> I, like you said, I know media, I guess, if we want to put it that way. So like, I wasn't surprised by it, but I don't. I just think that was just because of the way they told the story. Because the whole thing is, they could have just been not trying to do any twists or anything like that, but it felt like they were setting them up the whole time by the way they told the story. That's kind of my big point. I understand, and I definitely think, to your credit, that regardless of the benefits of the doubts I'm giving it due to time and place of when it came and how that may affect the way you view it, I'm not saying that clearly the writing is done in such a way where a fairly decent amount of people, even back then, probably were able to figure it out. So it's clearly not the absolute best way to write that. Uh, 
I guess it's just it's it's kind of a meet in the middle thing for me. I feel like where that writing at the time may have been something that people wouldn't have been able to easily sniff out, but it just depends too because mediums move and change and how they grow. There's things and also age, but there's things where I think felt twisty and gaming. And when you look at it now, it's like the way they went about doing that. Either I've matured with the content I've watched around it, so it's changed my perception of it, or my ability to perceive what's happening has changed one way or the other and how that changes your experience with that movie in relation to that movie or that I don't know. or that media i just feel, I, I guess i get what you're saying i feel like you're giving it a lot of credit when star wars empire happened what four or five years before it so like they've people have done good twists it yeah, just to no, me it sure. just I don't know. I, I get what you're saying. I just don't think it's a matter of time and place. I just think it was there's better writing. And that's not an insult. Like I said, the movie is, yeah. it was really good. Um, well, I'll give you my, my little last thing, particularly on that, is while I see what you're talking about and think that while there may have been some value in telling you the, the story straightforward, I personally think it would have been less fun despite the fact that i was able to figure out what's going on i still think the way they chose to present it led for a more interesting story even if you can more or less guess what's happening most people within the first half of the movie yeah well yeah i'm not not even saying that it wasn't i just think it was Mm -hmm. a little bit distracting like to me it was just why did you show him getting stabbed at the beginning because if you didn't show me that and you showed me that later on like maybe after you've pretty much revealed everything and then it starts to click more but once that happens right at the beginning i'm like you don't survive a bayonet (laughs) like that doesn't really happen those things would fuck you up they would serrate those things so they would cut your guts like that was a those were fucked up so like that to me once that happened i was like why are you you're trying to convince me that this is that he survived and didn't die when all this stuff is happening around him like it's so clear what's happening fair so i guess maybe the thing would be that you could still keep the majority of the movie the same way but cut a couple of the beginning things yeah i do think to the average viewer what and i could clearly see that this is what they wanted you to think to the average viewer they're hoping that you look at it and think of it from the standpoint of like oh he survived and this is him dealing with the ptsd and facing his demons as they were uh though like like you said i I could clearly give it that benefit of the doubt despite being like one of the first things that hit my mind whenever the bayonet went in i was like oh those are like bayonets were traditionally made with like a triangle shape so that when it cuts you Mm -hmm. there's not really anything you can do yeah. I'm not going to say no one's ever survived from one, but the clear intent from them is to be done in such a way that people don't survive. <laughs> yeah, that, that went deep. Yeah. I think the thing that, that's interesting about what you said is that the movie, I think, really plays into you like trusting your storyteller, if that makes sense. Oh, yes, like, I definitely agree with that. And that's kind of the, that's kind of where the inherent, like, I don't know if you're going to say casual movie watcher. I just mean someone who throws the movie out is not paying too much attention, right? they might believe it because they're like oh the 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 director is telling me that he's alive so i can see it that way i just didn't look at it yeah and like oh they're showing me a scar on him in this pastime so he did they ever show a scar in a million because i didn't see did they did they actually show the scar because i actually felt like they made very specific effort to not show the bottom of his chest they did show it they definitely in the beginning of the movie 
okay. <laughs> shortly after you see him get stabbed. Uh, you see him getting into the shower, and he has a shirt, and you can see the scar there. There's a couple of scenes with him gotcha. and Jezebel in the bed where he doesn't have a shirt on, and he's laying around, and you can see the scar. So they definitely put the work in to allow you to suspend disbelief, definitely, if you're not aware of what, you know, some people, I'm sure, don't know that bayonets are made in such a way that they're meant to kill, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, well, but I mean, I, I definitely to be fair, they're on a military weapon. Yeah. Like, they're not made to tickle. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I should say is that they're made, and actually, that's why people stopped using bayonets, because they're kind of, like, really, they're fucked up. The yeah. whole point is, I'm going to stab you with this, and you have probably a higher chance of being shot in some random place and living than you do surviving this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, I was just being a yeah. dick. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. So, <laughs> How dare you? Oh, well, Josh, Sorry, did you pick up... I know, Josh. You've been a, a little bit of a nomad in your childhood, if I'm if I'm recalling from different stories I've heard from you. So, what was your religious upbringing, and did it affect the way that you came into this movie at all? Uh, yeah, I, I had like a cursory uh, familiarity with Christianity through my childhood, which was something that my grandparents wanted to impart on me. Um, but being true to me in any learning scenario i didn't retain a whole lot of it so uh <laughs> there wasn't a lot to refer back to but also i just mm-hmm. don't recall the the jacob's ladder story particularly so that part of it wasn't uh like a tell for me in advance uh and actually yeah. for what it's worth i i didn't i i had guesses because there were a few different types of resolutions to all the things being set up that I was expecting. And I kind of didn't have my heart set on any particular ones. So I was, I was cool with where it ended up because I wasn't thinking this is obviously where it's going to go. Cause I had, had also figured maybe it's going to go like a, a shutter Island sort of thing where he's been institutionalized for a long period of time. Uh, spoilers. Um, <laughs> Chris bleep that out. No, um, okay. I, <laughs> or, or, I guess I was also really preoccupied with the whole military aspect of it. So I was really kind of interested in how deep they were going to go into uh, information control and intimidation and that sort of stuff. And if that was going to be more of a factor than it ended up being. But I I think once we saw him in his room by himself, uh, Jacob that is, and he was reading that book and kind of looking at the artwork of here's what limbo looks like. And here's this sort of conflict between angels and demons um, that was where to me it felt like okay, like the movie's comfortably now saying for sure this is supernatural, and you know he's not in the realm of the living at the very least. Uh, but yeah, as far as where it was going to resolve, I didn't have a, an inkling based on religious background. It was more just like I could see this going in the direction of military conspiracy. I could see it going in the direction of the horrors of underfunded mental health. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately the way it played out, I, I ended up enjoying, I did not anticipate though. Maybe I should have, and maybe you guys did. Uh, I did not anticipate that it was his friend who had, uh, stabbed him with the bayonet, which, uh, fucking sucks for both of them. Um, yeah, I I didn't anticipate that at all. Yeah. Though, like Chris said, once it tells you, you know, with the little end thing, which is something I really enjoy, uh, the idea of like fiction being born from reality. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, he's getting the idea for this very crazy fiction based off of something as simple as a report of people saying that they used a hallucinogen during Vietnam. I love that someone was like, you know, it'd be really interesting if I made a story where they gave that to somebody and they killed each other. 
Yeah. So, and but, I mean, yeah, I didn't think that either. But when you start thinking about the often retor- reported um, use of hallucinogens and different things throughout multiple different wars, mm-hmm. once they show you, it's not like some, oh my God, I would have never imagined. It's more like, a, oh yeah, that's totally possible. Yeah. Oh, I, I guess for what it's worth, because of how that first sequence went where we saw them chilling and then they started freaking out and we couldn't see what was causing them to do that it mm-hmm. immediately read as supernatural to me as opposed to like a chemical agent which yeah seemed as the intent but um yeah i, I don't know so, something about it i guess i was from the get-go down with the movie playing with supernatural elements so it was kind of like sure he's probably dead at this point but I, I still think the way it played out was interesting enough and it gave me enough stuff to pay attention to to where while I could have fixated on where it was going to end up, I was still enjoying the journey and kind of seeing the different steps along the way and the sort of yeah. the conflict with it and uh, with, you know, w- with the really satisfying uh, backcracking scenes and, uh, you know, <laughs> shout out to Sal finding a second win in his career. I'm, I'm really happy for him. <laughs> he has been in so many of the movies we've watched. <laughs> But yes. Um, oh, I, I did want to mention, um, I was looking up a little bit about BZ after watching this because that kind of stuff is interesting to me. And hyperthermia is one of the main uh, effects of BZ. And it, it kind of made that whole bathtub scene play as like a simultaneous you know, illness, but also he's exhibiting in his sort of dream reality uh, the same symptoms that someone would if they were actually exposed to that kind of antigen. Um, well, yeah, and that brings us to a point of something I really like about the movie, where almost every major scene but in the movie is kind of this struggle between showing you the same thing from both sides. Because like Chris mentioned, and while it may be obvious, I like that the way you're first approached with the scene of him breaking in and needing to be put in the tub because he's experiencing hypothermia and all that different back and forth stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that they show it as like, oh, well, he's freezing in this, what we are being told at this particular moment is the real world, which we learn is kind of like his purgatory that at that particular moment was kind of dipping into hell for him. And then we get to see him in his kind of fever dream and this comfort zone. We see him kind of go to the other side and have the same thing where when he wakes up in bed, he's shutting the window because he's cold. Yeah. And I know that, of course, it plays in as it's supposed to be that. But I like that once you start to understand that this is his heaven that he's living through right now and his purgatory and then eventual hell as well kind of exists in this thing where he's bouncing between them. And, of course, you see the overall moment of him being dragged in to the... (laughs) I guess I'd say what looks like the asylum, like you mentioned, where you're seeing, again, a beautiful shot of the gurney wheels, like moving all crazily and sporadically and kind of being centered while you're seeing all this crazy stuff going in the background. And it just really sets a tone. But I love that same thing. You're seeing all of these things that represent his like fears and regrets and his refusal to let go of things that are, you know, from both before the war and during the war. So you have the shaking head guy who represents the the fellow soldier who was having the, what looked to be a seizure in front of him. You have the bike representing a son getting hit, the body parts representing all the atrocities of war that he had seen, as you saw in the opening part where they see the legs being blown off and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you have that going. And then very quickly you see it set to what looks like a normal hospital thing and his wife and kids visit him so almost every big moment 
you see him kind of existing and reaching in a little bit into both sections. And regardless of if you know what it is at that point or not, I thought that was a really cool use of the theme at hand. Yeah. So. All yeah. Right. I, well, let's go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just kind of agreeing. I, I think there's a lot of different thematic and sort of just. I, I don't know. I, I think that's what I enjoyed so much about this movie. I have a hard time articulating it. I just think it was a really fun ride. And a lot of what made that ride fun was that it was uncertain and it was vague and it, it was kind of playing with a few different themes. But I, I don't know. I, I kind of like that aspect of... I, I can kind of tell what you're getting at, but I'm having more fun listening to you tell the story than trying to mm-hmm. think about it, you know? Yeah. And when you're thinking about this, you know, I think it's very similar to how I feel about a current thing I just experienced that also just happened to be a great story that wasn't necessarily un, like not like you couldn't see it coming, but it's so thematically involved within itself and making sure it's trying to be thematically true to everything it's set up prior that it ends up just being really great because of how true to itself it tries staying. Yeah. Be it you can figure it out or not. There's just something I like about seeing something and by the time it rolls around at the end, you're like, that ending feels thematically true with everything else that this is set up coming up to this moment. Definitely. I enjoy stuff like that. It doesn't mean it has to be run of the mill, uh, I mean, cream of the crop and it can't be something that's a little more like you can find it and be like, okay, I guess I could see what's going on here. Sometimes that is a bad thing and I often do uh, kind of heckle movies for being easily guessable but a lot of the times it's not only are they easily guessable they're not even enjoyable to watch get to that point Mm. (laughs) and that's kind of the ride between a movie that's guessable but ultimately tells a good story and has a fun journey getting there or not a fun journey necessarily it's just a good journey depending on the play that's going at it or something that is clearly something from the get-go and just won't get out of its own way, which I think maybe is a little more of what Blake and Chris may be feeling about this movie, despite enjoying it. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I was just kind of giving the movie a little bit of shit, and then we kind of got into a big conversation about it, because the thing is, like, um, the movie itself was, like, just really good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like, yeah, I was just kind of poking fun at it a little bit, but no i really enjoyed it i thought like everything about watching it was engaging it was really an engaging movie tim robbins was really fun to watch in the movie so Mm -hmm. that was a lot of why i really liked it It was just his performance also it was weird that he was like a chick magnet in purgatory (laughs) like what's up with that I feel like every scene in the movie, girls are just like singing at him. Yeah, it's, look, look at who it is. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna read your your lifeline. I'm gonna tell you right there. And of course, that's another moment where I was like, "She says this says right here, you're already dead." I was like, "Mm-hmm." mm-hmm. Yeah, it was stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, like of course, but at the same time, what I like about that is that because the movie doesn't choose to address it any time immediately, at any point in time immediately, for at least the first half of the movie, it still kind of sells me on the chance of, like Blake, uh, like uh, Josh said, rather, that maybe he's actually not dead. He's just in this thing where he's been institutionalized for a long time and he's imagining uh, other stuff. But I didn't know for sure, even though I had a strong guess that it was ultimately what it ended up being. Mm-hmm. I think I interrupted Absolutely. someone with someone saying something. I was starting to, but it's completely left my mind. So go ahead. 
Um, let's see. I will say real quick the scene where she reads his poem and like the whole um, like dance scene. I was gonna say club scene, but it was like in an apartment. Yeah, but that whole scene was very good. Yeah, and very freaky. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I thought was kind of funny for me. I'm I, I'm curious, at least in your area, or really all of your areas. So when he opens the fridge and you see the cow's head, yeah. Did people view that as odd? Did you three view that as odd? Yes. Yeah. yeah. For sure. I mean, I've okay. seen stuff like that before, but it was so. I mean, I know people eat shit like that, but like I've never seen it. So yeah. like, if I went over to a friend's house and there's a whole ass cow's head, I'd be like, ah, it's pretty fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, lot. Uh, it's a lot less weird to me. Like honestly, when it happened, because of the way they chose to like frame it and have him react, I was like, "Oh, this is supposed to be a weird thing." But I was literally at the store like not even a week ago, and they had cow's heads just wrapped up where you could buy. So it's a pretty common thing in our part where mm-hmm. people buy them and eat them. So seeing it was like, "Okay, yeah, they're gonna eat a cow head," and then he responds to it. I was like, "Oh, apparently wherever he is, that's not common." <laughs> <laughs> Well, to be fair, it's also an unexpected cow's head. So, What'd that you say, would Chris? I'm sorry. I was I said to be fair, it's an unexpected cow head. Yeah. So, it was in a fridge. I mean, it's it's not yeah. like he opened a a cabinet with cups in it and suddenly there was a cow head. No, but I'm saying if he wasn't the one who put the cow's head in there and suddenly there's a random cow's head in your fridge, that would freak you out. Well, that was not his fridge. That's even worse. <laughs> so, why? Here's the thing: Why was he getting in someone else's fridge without asking? Them? That is a whole other issue that we have to tackle. The the party. Extreme. He was getting a beer. Ah, fair, fair, fair. That's true. Also, did anyone? I know we're going back to the hand line, but I can't escape this thing where, for some reason, he's just like the hot piece of ass wherever he is. <laughs> Well, I think it was one of the things that the hand reader says that just I almost busted out laughing is when she's like, "That's your headline." <laughs> I was yeah. like, is she trying to offer him a blowjob? <laughs> okay, you know what I think it is was that that was another angel and Jezebel is the demon trying to keep him in hell. Mm. So all the girls are flirting, all the people are flirting with him. Because he is he is the center of the universe at that point, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where they're all trying to get him to go to to heaven One or hell. Now. Yeah. See, I I also I'm glad you viewed that because I think the movie eventually tries to redeem Jezebel, but I thought it was very telling that during the scene where he's being dragged down to the asylum and being held, and they're saying like you're dead. Yeah. Uh, the fact that she was kind of like the head person there was very telling i was like okay Mm -hmm. yeah she is like you know he says it's a nightmare but he doesn't seem necessarily unhappy Mm -hmm. yeah when we see him with her so it's hard to gauge if that's supposed to be like his purgatory middle ground because he has to have someone in his life to be a driving force but it can't be his wife and kids since they exist in this heaven area but the more that i started thinking about it and the fact that he did call her a nightmare but also in the same thing kind of gave her the good points of like, well, she does have a pretty rocking body and nice thighs. So I was like, I still am not entirely sure if she was always meant to represent his dark side, but clearly she was a, a, it, she was acting as a net negative and to well, try and pull him towards hell. It I seems. feel like she was, she was a representation of like 
I don't know, lust, I guess, where she was like the hot young thing versus yeah. which would take take him down the path of sin mm. but um where the wife does oh, call her a heathen exactly <laughs> where the well, wife Jezebel was a very negative character in the bible yes. yeah yes. she like murdered people and like took israel down for a long time or something if i remember correctly but that's a badass bitch <laughs> <laughs> damn jezebel <laughs> also, Elizabeth Pena, the voice of Mirage in The Incredibles. Oh. Oh, shit. Did not know that. I did not realize that. It was pointed out to me about halfway through. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. Now I'm listening to Mirage this whole movie. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so, here's the thing. I mean, this kind of exists in this in this situation where... As much fun as I had watching this movie, and as much as there is to talk about, a lot of it's talking about things and how, I mean, we've kind of covered them a lot, like you talking about the representations of different things and what they mean for him. And I do think the more you look at it, Jezebel is a great example. I'm glad you brought that up because I was trying to find out where to peg Jezebel because at the end of the movie where he like hugs her and says, I'm sorry, and that's kind of like the last time we see her kind of surprised me because i took it as the movie event you know going through that asylum scene and showing her in that just i was like oh, okay this is going to be where like it's revealed and then we're never going to see her be a kind of neutral character again but then we see her be neutral and almost remorseful but when you start thinking about it being that she's remorseful because she doesn't want him to go out because she knows if he goes out he's probably going to find what he needs to in order to go to heaven mm-hmm. then it, it makes you rethink that scene and that it's not necessarily a scene that is her being remorseful or you know it being worried about him so much as it's her being worried about not getting the outcome that she's ultimately looking for Mm. definitely i can see it frames her in a very different setup so glad you said that um but with all the representations that are going on i mean clearly this just becomes an allegory for death and we often hear people say you know you have your situation of your life flashing before your eyes or some people say like you know you go into this in between where if you refuse to let go a lot of people typically view that as ghost territory and that's where you get spirits that are trapped i thought it was really kind of cool that this was all happening within himself though i thought it was kind of unique at least i've not seen a ton of stuff to where despite the fact that he's been dying for ostensibly maybe a couple of days uh or mm-hmm. maybe just dead for a couple of days at this point you know from the time that the stab wound happens to the time where we reach the conclusion of the movie where we see him pronounced dead in vietnam it's clearly a small amount of time of days but in the movie we're seeing it be that at least as far as he's remembering it and living it in purgatory it's been six years and i kept wondering to myself has it been five or six years that he's been in in this mental purgatory where like mentally he's lived through five or six years of trying to get to what he needs to in order to let go Hmm. or what is this like you know how long has he been in this actual purgatory does this does their form of purgatory have time that passes i thought it was interesting that they didn't actually put a time on anything it's all kind of vague and loose until he gets the phone call from his buddy that he goes and meets and who says he's been seeing demons as well did it, and that's you think when he's like five or six years. Go ahead, Blake. 
I was just gonna say, do you think his purgatory maybe purgatory maybe started when like the movie started, but it just had like false memories behind it? Maybe I debated to make it that. Seem like it lasted longer. Yeah, I debated that too. Like <clears throat> clearly, he has to move forward because here's the thing: ostensibly, for him to have at some point in time in purgatory, if purgatory did not immediately push him there and give him false memories, if he's been in purgatory for five or six years. That means he got a job as a post office worker in Purgatory. What the hell is that? Kind of like Beetlejuice. <laughs> like yeah, he was just like, well, when I'm you're not. in Purgatory, you work like shitty jobs at like desks and shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I don't know. Now I'm trying to remember the sequence of the movie because in my head I feel like he wakes up after he gets stabbed. He wakes up on the train. Mm. So I feel like that's when it starts. That is that is the sequence of the movie. Then, so that yeah, would then make that's what sense. I would say. Because it seemed very like, okay, he closed his eyes, he's just got stabbed, and then he he wakes up and he's on the the train, and then that's when all the stuff starts going crazy, you know. Mm. Yeah. But to me, that would probably be the intro. Yeah, I think that's a good point. That there's enough going in the movie to give you some kind of an idea. I mean, the argument could be made that maybe that isn't it, and it's not 100. But I think of looking at all of them. That's the one that I'm most likely to believe, and I think the movie does the most to support. But I also like the idea of thinking of someone who's been dead it's for six years mentally, and it was like while they're dead, they're like, well, "I fucking got back from Nam. What am I gonna do? <laughs> I'm gonna go be a post office driver. That's what I'm gonna do." and just going through all this stuff i don't know mm. i thinking about it was weird but chris you're making a lot of great points man well I, <laughs> and the, i think the other thing is like was it be it was before he went to nam that he got his degree right or was it in this timeline it was after see it sounds like from the movie that was another thing that was making me like but there's one line in particular that I think cements the fact that it was beforehand. He says you went to school for five to six years to get a your you know doctorate, and you you're wasting it being a post office driver. And his response is, "After Nam, I wanted to not think." Right. So it sounds so, like it happened afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, which kind of lends more credence to it being the reason he's at the post office is because he's not supposed to think. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it's supposed and to be like out. A, a thought. A, a non-thought-provoking job. Yeah, that's yeah. just as. Oh yeah, and I guess that sounds bad. I have a lot of friends who are post office, but clearly the way the post office is talked about and expressed within this world, it's clearly a low effort kind of keep you in a yeah, but even less, even less than even um taking that out out of it, he was a psychology professor, so all he would have been thinking about was like are we in a simulation so (laughs) like simulation theory finds a way back into this episode well i mean but yeah but if you think about it like uh, him sorting mail or dropping mail off is a lot less uh, you don't think about that kind of thing as much as if you're like trying to figure out why people are the way they are and Mm. i think if he had you know if whatever god i guess put him in the situation was like oh you're also a professor i feel like it would kind of put him on a path to figure this out before he could have uh gotten his closure which i think was just finding out the military did fuck them over <laughs> all my my biggest point is that like he had to he had to be on a specific course to get his closure so if he was on the course of a professor he would have been that much 
more ahead of finding that out you know so then he would have it wouldn't have held up as well as if like you're not really thinking about that until mm. i guess for some reason they choose to expose it to you by having a man with a tail on a train like <laughs> although for what it's worth like if i'm if it's my job to think about the big issues and i'm doing something that's relatively kind of mundane and it's just like a go through the motions kind of job then equally plausible that i'm thinking about other shit that's true that's yeah. true I thought about that too when he said I wanted to not think. I was like, wouldn't you want a job that's like incredibly mentally taxing then? Yeah, go work in a restaurant. It's <laughs> like if anything, if I if I was a post office person, I would be thinking of so much other crap while I was driving around delivering. No no hate on them. I mean that's a cool thing. It's a yeah. it's potentially a benefit. You can do a lot of planning likely while you're going around and doing yeah. this work that is hard and tiring, but it's something that's very follow a set guide and kind of go about your business i thought it was an interesting choice too that they used postal worker to act Mm -hmm. as a non-thinking job i thought or something to keep him from thinking and to me i was like that is a job that has a lot of room for thinking if anything you'd want to put someone in like a medical profession you know where they're constantly having people come in I, so, interesting okay. choice you want you want can i go even more granular because i just thought of something <laughs> go for okay it. so think about what like a post office like a postal worker does right he brings you the mail or like potentially news so he had to bring himself to realize the news that he was dead <laughs> He had to deliver. <laughs> he had to del- Yeah, but think about it, right? In terms of the movie, he had to deliver. The only reason that he made it to heaven was because he delivered himself the news that he had to die and that he had finished what he came to do, which was, I guess, prove that the government did stuff. Although, realistically, nobody proved anything because he was just in a hallucination. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, one of the things there that's really interesting is that, of course, it's supernatural, right? But I thought it really odd that in his purgatory, he's able to come and learn about what happened that caused his death. When then, when we see that he dies, it's like it's like again a couple of days later. So in his fever dream, like when all that stuff was going on and he got stabbed, he's like, "I figured it out. The reason I got stabbed is because they fucked us all up." Yeah, <laughs> it was just kind of weird. Um, but plot hole to that, real quick to that sure. point, being granular, it's interesting because it does kind of make you think. Like that would be kind of an interesting macro level to try and sell it on, and maybe I'd buy it if like the entire second half of the movie, he's not a mailman at all anymore because he's basically on what is like paid or maybe unpaid leave due to his, you know, condition. But he was also banging the owner, from what I understood, that Jezebel was the his boss. So she was probably just clocking him in on the sly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, baby. I got you. I'll um, punch your clock, girl. You know, going back to Jezebel, one of the things that just kind of ran across my mind that I think further <clears throat> supports your thing about what she is, is clearly in the world that they're setting up, right? We hear her give information of things that he was saying in his little fever dream of what heaven was like. And she says that you were talking to your kids, including the dead one. You were, you know, you were talking to your wife and telling her to shut the window. 
so if he heard if she heard all that would she not have reasonably heard him also call her a nightmare yeah i was thinking that too and the fact that she doesn't say it or react to it or let it be a play into anything i think is really interesting and telling also the fact that she came up to him and like got in his face when he's trying to read the book it was almost like it was her trying to not let him realize that he was in purgatory so that he could slowly slip further and further into hell and eventually get into her clutches yeah it's mm. a very interesting setup for it but yeah i i just i ultimately i think the idea of having someone exist in a mental purgatory rather than a spiritual in between it definitely makes for a more interesting movie and while i don't believe in god or a god necessarily or anything I think if there was going to be something, I've often kind of had the the idea in my own head that I get the feeling that often what people equate as heaven and hell is kind of your own mental heaven and your mental hell as you build them up. You know what would be your hell. And when people talk about hell uh, from a biblical standpoint, you know, people tend to act like when you get to hell, it's going to be nothing but all the things that you hate. And of course, things that all people universally hate, like fire and being burned and licorice forever and ever <laughs> black licorice yeah that's one of them the belco experiment belco <laughs> it's just that's all it is and everybody's hell's different but i've kind of always viewed that in my head as kind of this thing of what this movie's kind of doing right you create your own hell and your own heaven from the things that you hate and the things you love uh, are the things that you wish didn't happen you know things that bring you into a negative experience and things that bring you into a positive experience so I think that this is ultimately a lot more of an interesting tale and an interesting idea to the to the in between of not letting go because clearly there's so much media that exists out there of spirits that don't want to let go and what that means and to me this is much more interestingly told than telling me that there's been a ghost here this entire time and <laughs> a ghost won't leave because he has unfinished business and won't let go I just I don't know. I guess it existing on the macro level of your own brain and kind of playing into what I already view as the heaven and hell being something you build up in your own mind. It was more fun to, for me to watch as it kind of brushed up against things I've thought about in the past than mm. a traditional ghost story. I have a hard time hitting with ghost stories because I don't believe in ghosts at all. You're, you're wrong. Ghosts are real. That's fine. You can think they're real. I'm not going to be upset. I don't believe in do. them either. <laughs> I got they ghosted last real. month. Oof. Oh yeah! Oh snap! <laughs> Rough man. My condolences. <laughs> Damn females, the only ghosts I know. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't afraid of no ghost. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I guess my thing is is like if this movie was trying to be more spirit based in that sense, I don't know if it would have struck with me as much. I tend to not really find ghost stuff all that engaging. Uh, just because I have a harder time. I guess to me it makes no sense <laughs> that a ghost would stick around from mm-hmm. even the thing of the biblical backing. Like, you know, when I think about it, I think in my head, like, you know, if there's a, and this is just per- clearly other information could change the way I feel about that. Who knows? But from thinking about it the way that I've always been kind of given God in the times that I've went through and being trying to be religious because it was clearly expected of me growing up. I've always had that mental thing in my head where it's like the idea of a ghost doesn't make sense if you're supposed to die and ascend or ascend to heaven or descend. And if anything, being stuck in an in-between could potentially make sense, but it wouldn't necessarily, if anything, 
you know, there's different steps of religion that's pretty interesting. Uh, Dante's Inferno, which Chris is about to be playing a video game adaptation of. <laughs> um, Dante's Inferno is kind of interesting because it exists in a similar way to where it's like there's levels of everything. So depending yeah. on what you've done, you fall further and further into the depths of hell. And with that idea it would also make sense in that there would be a middle level. So you'd have life as it is normal. Then you'd have an eternal life of mundaneness of nothing that's necessarily amazing, but nothing that's necessarily terrible. Uh, and I actually think this may brush up with some kind of Mormon belief or something. I, I, I want to say one of my Mormon friends has mentioned that his family kind of views the idea of a purgatory uh, as something where if you've not done anything to necessarily deserve going to heaven or hell, then you live in a purgatory. It's an in-between. I guess those ideas are interesting to me, but I don't know why that would necessarily brush over into our world. But who knows? I'm also just a 27-year-old who has very little life experience in comparison to a bunch of other people. So, Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't pretend to be an expert on purgatory specifically, uh, I mean, if I ever have a near death experience or, you know, if I, if I upset somebody who hexes me, then I'll, I'll be sure to let you know. <laughs> yeah. Growing up, the Southern Baptist, we didn't believe in purgatory mm. or at least my churches didn't that I went to as a kid. So mm. I don't really know a whole, whole lot about like what it entails and stuff like that, except from media, like movies and such. So, well, yeah, we'll see a lot of sex of religion when you start really kind of breaking it down to that denominations uh so it's like sub religions of a religion a lot of them do look at things such as purgatory and cast them away and it's very interesting that a lot of belief systems will have similar gods and devils but then the in-between of what actually happens between those are so vastly different that even if you know biblical stories the way that they're told and interpreted uh, definitely when you're dealing with preachers can change drastically as to what they mean, if they're positive, right. if they're negative, what they're supposed to represent. Uh, it's it's very crazy. So I, mm. I I wonder how much differently this movie plays depending on what sub denomination you believe, and mm. if this movie just feels like a slap in the face to you or <laughs> an interesting take to you, or if most people, because it's hard for me to think about it. Being a non-religious person, I can't think about how my religion would affect my enjoyment of this movie. Right. <laughs> so I wonder if most people who are religious are able to just be like, well, this is just a story. It doesn't matter what my religious beliefs are. Or do the religious beliefs inherently brush against the movie and make you be like, I can't like it because of this? Mm, I mean, yeah. I don't think there's anything inherently offensive about the movie. Just from nor what do I, I know. Yeah, it's nor just, do I. Unless I could see it if you're like a Westboro Baptist, you wouldn't like the movie, but I don't really <laughs> think well, there there's are much in there that uh is that bad so, so growing up my denomination just because i think it's something that when you hear you be like what <laughs> i now wonder if this is in blake's area so blake have you ever heard of a church of god of prophecy i don't think so yeah most Doesn't people are like, around oh, here Methodist but... or our baptist or you know all those that you typically hear and i think most people are more familiar with like um uh, oh, how am I forgetting the thing? My sister was one for a little while. 
oh well doesn't matter but there's definitely more common ones and i was growing up with the most like one of the more extreme ones where you know we couldn't like it was weird that my mom let us watch harry potter and play pokemon because they were of the (laughs) devil (laughs) (laughs) oh man now we had people at our church like that i had friends that weren't allowed to watch harry potter and stuff Oh, I definitely know people like that, but our uh, our preacher was openly preached about that. And once you found out, it was kind of like a thing toward my mom of like, why do you let them do that? What is this? What is that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yikes. Uh, so, <laughs> very interesting upbringing. Uh, if anyone who right. isn't married to their partner stays at my grandparents' house, they will not let them sleep in the same room. Oh, yes. That's a very <laughs> common older yeah. Christian set up it's like y'all aren't married well sorry you go sleep on the couch buddy boy and grandpa's gonna sleep in the chair beside you to make sure you don't get up in the middle of the night (laughs) it's funny too because like growing up with like half of my family being really religious and half of them like believing in god and all that but not really being like strict about it or even going to church or anything Mm -hmm. like going to one grandparent's house it was like we went up to visit as a senior in high school me and my girlfriend and like at one grandparent's house we had to sleep in separate rooms and then my other grandparents' house, they're like, yeah, we'll make a pallet on the floor for it. Because they didn't have a big house or anything. They're like, we'll make a pallet on the floor for you guys to sleep in and all that. Like, <laughs> it's just so weird <laughs> like yeah. how different it was. Well, I, I hate to put this at the end, but it's just something that ends up naturally kind of coming that way, I suppose. Uh, shout out to Santa corner santa stealing his wallet and making him sound crazy when they go, where's your identification? Santa. <laughs> it was yeah, stolen. that was funny. <laughs> Who took it? Santa, Santa Claus. <laughs> I'm <gonna get> that <laughs> fucker. <laughs> uh, but um, two things, and I guess actually before I move to the last thing, um, right out of the gate, the soundtrack did a fantastic job of being really good really quickly and surprising over what it was being played over because you're seeing this war scene play out and very seldom do you hear music that is like, slow mysterious contemplative kind Mm -hmm. of yearning it's very weird like you know you may hear somber strings and stuff over a war moment to give it like more emotional impact but it's not the type of emotion that this was trying to go for so right out of the gate i was like oh this is clearly trying to set for something and i like that it tried to set like for the mystery that's unraveling throughout the movie and you hear that musical motif come back in moments where that are kind of really playing into these different aspects of what's going to be the penultimate in the movie mm. really good soundtrack which has been a thing lately yeah i, I the, the soundtrack was like fine for me there wasn't anything that really stood out too much but i definitely there were key moments especially when things started getting especially fucky where it, it felt like it was being really well used like i, I think I don't know. I guess to my ears, the the soundtrack had a lot of restraint. um, Yes. Which is less exciting to listen to, but probably the better move as far as accompanying the piece and especially for this movie. But yes. Yeah. And that's what I should say is like, I love the soundtrack, but it's not some, it's something that's meant to be experienced with the film rather than something you'd necessarily be eager to pull up and listen to in and of itself separate from the movie no i'd probably still enjoy it but a lot less than when it's accompanying a piece because it changing the emotional pull of that moment of you know of a war zone moment it just is not a sound i've typically heard with that so it immediately kind of made me like cock up and be like what the hell am i watching yeah it almost reminded me of like i don't know apocalypse now or something but Mm. yeah it was very 
it, it definitely captured that sort of, I don't know, I immediately got this really intense sense of dread. And, and I was kind of curious how it was going to frame the whole conflict, because I don't know that it was the most mainstream to openly criticize uh, U.S. involvement in Vietnam, as far as like, yeah. you know, it seems like more as we've gotten further away from it in history, we kind of reflect on it differently than just sort of the, you know, pro-U.S. and that's that's the end of it kind of thing. So I, <laughs> yeah. I was curious how this movie was going to address it. And it was interesting that it simultaneously, like, didn't really... Like, once it got to the end, it took a it kind of took a stance, but uh, for most of the movie, it kind of just presented atrocities of war and kind of left it at that. And then it wasn't until we kind of got the reveal of the end of what was happening that it was... Mm a little bit more direct with where it was directing some of its criticism. Yeah, a little bit more like for the majority of the movie, it's not necessarily a critique or a any kind of reference toward the war and, and their feelings towards it, more than it's just a peek into the realities of war. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think, real quick, just to bring up kind of the genre that it's in, I, I mentioned this to Chris earlier where I think this will probably be like the one time that I agree with him and I don't know if I do, he didn't say his stance, but I don't think this movie is horror. Whereas a lot of people have said it's horror, and like the quote on the box is like viscerally scary. Mm. But like I think it falls into line with Parasite in the sense that like there are some scenes for sure that I could mm-hmm. accept an argument that like this scene is horror or horror adjacent, you know? Mm-hmm. But overall I do not qualify this as horror, at least in my opinion. So I think the, one of the ways I'd kind of go about it, and I'm wanting to double check and look because I think the way it says it, it does consider, or at least, hold on, let me see what the disambiguation for it is on, uh, that's just a normal one, hold on. I was looking for the 1990s film because I want to see how it's listed genre-wise within itself. So it does consider itself to be a horror film. Right. Okay. That I was kind of curious because one of the things I've seen genres do and that's why genre talk is so weird, like we've mentioned on this in relation to movies and music and a bunch of even games at this point, is sometimes what people will do will put the main genre that they would use here. So like if this was considered like a psychological horror movie, uh, then the way it might be presented would be psychological slash horror. And they do it like it's majority psychological, but there's some horror aspects. Is the way I kind of when people use a, sp- a slash specifically instead of just saying it's psychological horror, instead it's psychological slash horror, and yeah. kind of like we're emphasizing psychological, de-emphasizing horror. We're just kind of letting you know the sets of the tone that there is some horror aspects in this that you could find. But clearly, this is not one of those those moments. They do consider it to just be a horror film. Mm. Yeah, I mean, to me, it kind of felt like um, Sixth Sense or, again, Shutter Island, where it's psychological. Like, it's it's unsettling at times, but it it's definitely not horror in the sense of, you know, a monster or big, like, direct existential threat. It's more just like, here's a generally unsettling and uncertain situation with those few moments that I would that argue that this is an existential threat, because this is... That you know, if you are a religious person who believes in these two extremes, this is the difference between a life of peaceful eternity mm-hmm. or a life of hell. <laughs> sure, yeah, but that, that's totally valid. Yeah, I, I guess the presentation, I, I guess, is the the uh, distinction I would make there. Where yes, the threat is still real, but I, I think something about it makes it seem more 
situational and less personal mm-hmm. where I feel like a lot of horror is kind of a little bit more directly manifested in the movie, but I don't know. I'm not an expert. Well, and that kind of goes to what Blake and I were talking about where it's like, even the sub genres of horror get pretty interesting because if I'm not mistaken, movies like, um, you know, nightmare on Elm street and all of the big eighties ones, be it Freddy, um, you know, the, how am I, what am I thinking? <laughs> uh, Friday the 13th. There we go. And of course, Halloween, those were all considered slashers, right? Yeah. Okay. And like slashers, kind of like a, a subgenre of horror where it falls under horror, but there are specific things that you're going to typically tap into within that subgenre. Yeah. Kind of like a guy killing people, like almost like serial killer esque, you know? Yeah. Kind of like the, the horror being manifested into a single entity that you're, that is kind of acting as the thing. Sure. So I could see that. And just because I was curious, because I do, I, I think The Sixth Sense is a little less. Uh, I, I think that this movie goes a little more weird than The Sixth Sense, personally. Uh, but The Sixth Sense is considered a supernatural psychological thriller, which I think is definitely apt to what it is. I'm glad they don't consider it to be horror. But I also think this movie was a little more horrific, <laughs> being the root, you know, word behind horror is. I do think this movie had more, like Blake said. It has moments. I don't know if I'd wholesale consider it one either. I think it's a little odd of a genre classification, mm. I suppose. Yeah, like, I, w- I don't want to c- totally compare it to Parasite because I think Parasite is way farther away from horror than this one is. Yeah. I, but it's just kind of the first one and that came to my mind of where, like, I get people's arguments for it being horror, but I don't agree with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, sure. Chris, where do you land on it being horror? I don't, I don't really consider it horror. I think it's closer to what I personally would consider horror than most traditional <laughs> horror movies, but I don't think it gets there personally. Yeah, I could see that. Like I said, it has horror elements, but just doesn't quite brush into it. Yeah. Well, my last note, and this is just something I couldn't stop shaking right around the whole way that the end went through, you know, once it was kind of revealed that what I thought was likely happening was indeed happening. Mm. Um, there's that sense where, while it's not the exact same, you know, when we were doing, and Chris, I don't know if you went back and watched the movie or listened to the episode, but Once Upon a Time in America, there is some theories about the way that the movie ends, which is actually very similar to this in that it ends the same way it begins, more or less yeah. uh and you get to see noodles in that movie set up and doing his thing and there's a theory that everything that happens within the movie after the one big event that kind of sets the latter half of the third act into place there's a theory that what you're seeing at the very beginning and at the very end as it comes back around to it is kind of like him dreaming or imagining a situation to get himself away from the guilt and it kind of feels like everything that you've watched is suspect as to whether it really happened or if it's just someone's own way of being able to come to terms with what actually happened. And I got some of those feelings from that. Clearly, it's a little different because of the way they choose to go about it. But it's very similar in that you get to a point where the movie kind of gives you reason to believe that what you just saw has a chance of not being real. Even though in this movie, it's what you just saw is 100% not real. <laughs> mm. 
I just didn't know if either of you kind of got that feeling. Like as soon as it started happening, it just made me think of that final scene where before Blake even brought up that theory about people thinking it was a fever dream and once upon a time, I was kind of like, that's kind of the way I took it. It's like he's fighting with his inner self and the only way he eventually comes to peace is by creating a reason as to why these things have happened so that he can kind of go on living his life. Sure. Yeah, I guess so. So... I don't know. Weird. Does anyone else want to make a closing statement on this movie? I do. Speak now or forever hold your pee. Go ahead, Josh. Uh, forever hold my hold pee. pee. That's what I'm always doing. Uh, so <laughs> I was reading on Wikipedia, the most accurate and trusted of all sources, that uh, some of the visual effects for the demons, like the ones that appear in the train cars and in the car that nearly runs him down in that sort of near a bridge area, uh, that they served as some level of inspiration for the Silent Hill games. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Because Silent Hill is kind of all about blending natural Japanese horror that mm-hmm. we kind of saw with some Western horror aspects. And that's why you see Silent Hills being specifically set, which that was a big period of time in gaming at that. You know, you had Resident Evil 2 that was just coming, which was taking a Japanese developer and having them create a horror genre game that was set in the West. Yeah. So yeah. I thought so that was really actually, cool. Uh, I can d- definitely see that. The idea of like, you know, and that's something that's been used in popular culture a lot since then. Like Godsmack have an album called Faceless that really makes me think of the very, you look at it and you're kind of like, huh, that thing doesn't really have a distinct feature, which humans find unsettling when you can't determine what someone's face is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just a weird thing for us. But when you go towards the asylum aspect of it all and you kind of see what the hospital area looked like and you think about Silent Hill, you think yeah. about the nurses, you can definitely see some inspiration being moved in there. Definitely. All right. Anybody else want to add something cool, interesting, or just a thought that we did not randomly cover? The nurse with the bones coming out of her head was cool. That's really all I have to say about it, but I just like that. <laughs> yeah, it was creepy. I liked that scene a lot. Yeah, it was good. It was very natural. Like, the way it falls from her head, mm-hmm. the way that he kind of sees it shivers and runs, and the way that she, like, acts as if she's aware that he saw. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it really... It, there was a lot of really well-done scenes in that movie, and I gotta say hell of a performance from tim robbins i just really think he kills it i mean like you feel like he's unsure of what's going on and like he doesn't know what to trust or who to trust yeah kills it is an apt descriptor for sure very very (laughs) okay well there goes uh, there goes blake's chris do you want to throw in any extra stuff no i guess it just kind of made me it was another movie that made me think about free will and how it doesn't exist that was one of those things like kind of throughout the whole movie that's what i kind of took away from it was that Okay, but we can't just say that and not at least go a little bit into it. I mean, I'm happy to go into it. No, go into it. Because this is something I I do not get that. Well, okay. As as an immediate thought, it doesn't come to me. The more I'm starting to think of it, I think you might be able to convince me as to where you're coming from with it. So I, I believe in the illusion of free will. Sure. But I do not believe that free will exists. Mm um to me it's always seemed like a combination of the way you were raised and the way you've lived your life it's more of like think of it as think of like what you do every day as a habit and then it kind of just removes any aspect of it you know Mm -hmm. to 
for me it's like every day I take the same route to work and even if I'm going to deviate I was always going to deviate there's always going to be a reason that's kind of and it's like you guys were talking about before like you finding the coin like that kind of stuff like to me that just kind of helps me get there where I just don't believe it exists I think that it's easy to say the backing and this is one of the interesting parts about this movie right Mm. because I think one of the things that when you first said free will in relation to this movie and thinking about the more religious side of this movie my initial thought was if we're saying that free will is not in this movie and how it plays into this movie, then we must be brushing against the idea of predetermination. But I don't necessarily know that that's actually what you're arguing because I don't think you're taking this from a religious standpoint. I think you're really just viewing at it from the standpoint of whether free will does or does not exist. And if it doesn't exist, what does that really mean? That's one of those interesting conversations. And I know we've talked about the Sam Harris discussions behind it and (laughs) some other people. Like, not believing in free will sounds communist to me, and you probably should just leave America where we are the land of the free will. (laughs) Yeah, but you don't have any free will. That's the thing. I'm not talking about free dumb. You have the free dumb to do anything. It was a joke. Hey, if it's free, that sounds like socialism. I mean, yeah. No, it's it's not free. It's dumb free, boy. It's like stupid free. It's so free. God damn, boy. No, I I don't really know if I believe in free will or not. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I've never really thought about it a ton. In a religious sense, I'm not religious at all. I don't believe in any, like, overpowered, like, being or anything. But, like, I don't know. I feel like I make my choices, so I feel like I believe in free will. But, like you said, I mean, maybe I was always meant to make those choices. I have no idea. Well, Chris's argument is the illusion of free will. Because of the way that humans are basically built, we are built to operate, whether or not it is true, we are built to operate under the auspices of the fact that we do have free will and that we're making our decisions on our own accord. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I also more believe that, like, you are making all your decisions on your own accord. However, the decisions you're making, you were always going to make that decision, you know? See, and that's weird because that brushes up against the idea of predetermination, whether you're intending it to or not. Because it I do intend that. it. I do think everything's predetermined. But because it's more because I believe that time is a singular line, and every point in time that will exist or has existed already exists on that line. So I believe that what I've done in 20 years has already happened. Whereas I believe yeah, what I did... Not there yet. Yeah, and what I did in 92 when I was born, that is currently happening right now at some in some other dimension. So I, or not even dimension, some other time. But I think all points in time exist, which is why I would be one of those people who believes that time travel is real, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, and that kind of goes towards a thing, which is two weird things, right? If time travel exists, but you don't believe in it, but you don't believe... Okay, it's time travel and free will is kind of an interesting thing because if you the way you're setting up time as your basis for your free will argument comes down to the point that if you were going to go back in time, there'd be almost no point other than to, than to just experience it because yeah, you were always going to go back in time to begin with, so you can't change anything. Otherwise, so, free will would have to exist, right? Well, yeah, exactly. I don't believe that you can change time. I believe that. The, so think of it this way, right? If time travel ever did exist it already existed because there was someone who time traveled already that's what would have to happen happen if you went back in time 
and had sex with your mom and she got <laughs> pregnant with you <laughs> she wouldn't get pregnant with you she would get pregnant with nothing because nothing would happen because you would end up not existing well no by my logic that's not even true <laughs> by your line of thought it couldn't happen that way and that's it just couldn't happen mean. yeah that's kind of what i mean like technically time travel would be pointless because once you got there i don't think you could actually do anything because it's already happened you know what i mean right so i, I was guess back I, and kill your grandfather yeah as a baby the, the, the yeah, whole could, point but that would open but then a different when, if you killed your grandfather as a baby then you would have never been born so you would never be able to go back to kill your grandfather's baby right so you're that's different See, he that's the never. butterfly effect right no. but that's also true because it's one of those things where i also believe like you could open up different timelines i definitely believe in like that kind of thing i think that the timeline that we are currently on the timeline that we are doing midweek matinee on already happened but yeah. if you went back in time and killed hitler and then went forward in time the time you would come out of is a different timeline where all its history has already happened so every so time you, you go you back you would break it off you believe in the idea I, I i might be saying the wrong thing but i think in that string theory where pretty all much things I think. kind of essentially become strings that branch out in, in different paths it's kind of like the uh it's not necessarily the multiverse theory as much as like a multi-timeline theory where every <laughs> I, I think i really think it is string theory because i think it's a theoretical framework about i, I think string every potential right. thing that could happen exists in its own fracture right you know well uh, think, and that's that's an interesting thing but the thing about i see that's i'm glad you bring it up to that but i guess i should try and at least rope this a little bit back in no how does your feelings of free will come to your mind in relation to how it plays into jacob's ladder specifically kind of my base level of where i believe this to be true right is think of all the coincidences that led us to doing this podcast right today mm -hmm. specifically even this week right there was that hurricane where power was out in my area for three four days at the minimum my dad still can't even go back to work until at least monday so today um <laughs> But I didn't have internet. So what it took was some guy working that I'll never meet and I'll never know he did it. Some guy randomly fixed my internet somewhere out on the street so that I could sit down here and happen to look at my computer and be like, oh, it's on. It's, it's working. So I will record today. And be like, oh, my TV. All, all the small things that lead us here are exactly why I don't believe in free will. Where it goes back to the movie is the reason we spent so much more time with Jezebel was because she had to try and convince him to leave the path he was already on, which was the path of his wife and children in heaven. So we spent, that's why we spent so much more of this movie on Jezebel and on her doing stuff to him and on him seeing stuff in her reality. Cause we don't spend any, almost any time in what I would say is the heaven reality of the movie because that's his determined path. The rest of the movie is basically them showing him that there's a place he can go and having to take him off his path. That's why the chiropractor, who's the angel, has comes and saves him to put him back on the correct path to go to heaven with his family. So here's my kind of base problem with that with that sure. setup, right? Is and, and it's it's not a problem in the fact that it's possible or plausible within this world. It's that. And again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying to Blake of 
we almost need to exist in the sense that we have free will because otherwise stories become boring. If all stories, you just go, well, that ending was always going to be the ending and there's no way that at any point he could have done anything that would have actually changed it. So if you start approaching everything from that, then that means that these things don't, you know, part of our, whether it's, you know, reasonable, realistic, or even actually exist or not, our emotions and the way that we have an emotional ploy with the things that we're actually you know, interacting with it's right. all based off of the idea that in our mind, everything is subject to change at any given time, which could have a profound change on it. Now, again, whether that actually happens, it would make watching this movie a lot more boring if every bit of the time I was like, doesn't matter because he's always going to end up doing this because this is but the that's only not the, way. That's not the point of the movie, though. The point of the movie is not his destination. The point of the movie is watching him get on the path, uh, get on his regular path. The point. The, that, the thing is that I find funny about what you said is that movies as a medium are the mm-hmm. definition of the lack of free will. Yes, they are. But we exist in watching them under the thought that even though the movie is predetermined, because all stories are predetermined once they're set in a recorded yeah, but- format that can be replayed, then you're – because, you know, you, you, that's, that's kind of where you exist. Right, but if I told you the end of this movie, would you not watch the movie? Just the ending. Because that, to me, feels like what you're arguing say. is that I, I, I don't, really I don't bad. agree. Because I'm not the you, person to ask that because you spent, I really don't like knowing the end of things. Yeah, it but makes you me spent not want to watch uh, you spent a certain amount of hours playing The Last of Us Two, knowing all of the spoilers. Yeah, I didn't know the and, ending though. Thankfully, sure. But the point is, it's not all movies have an ending. You know that they're going to end a certain way. Yeah, of course, of course. You, you're not watching. You're not watching the movie because of that i don't think i think you're watching for the journey like no matter what there's a wikipedia write-up of these movies so if you wanted to you could go see them they all have an end point and the end point for him was to go there the point of the movie was to watch jezebel and the demons try and pull him down that's how i see it but because why would I, they try if again that's, that's okay, i'm sorry <laughs> but why would they try if again we're existing in a thing where free will doesn't exist because they ultimately know that they're trying is in vain because either they're going either they were always going to succeed or they're always not yeah but and these I guess are- that goes back to my idea of the regardless of whether it is and then i just you know however you want to finish up regardless of where it is operating under the auspices of free will is what essentially sets things in motion because if humans always thought that everything was going to happen that was going to happen then i would just sit here literally all day and not do anything because no because you have the illusion of free will that's the exactly we we exist we operate under the auspices of free will right which is otherwise we'd have no driving sure but that's the entire point i'm making where he has the illusion of free will and for all i for all i know demons and angels would be above the the destiny thing so they could pull them over there or you know his whole battle was to find out what happened and to choose to go there so even if the demons were trying to turn him and his destination was always heaven he still had to be challenged so that he could accept that he had to choose heaven that's the point in the end of the movie he had to accept that he had to choose or the demons would continue to take over and make his life hell so he chose to go into heaven with his son that's why he looks peaceful at the end because he chose the right path you know what's really interesting about this though not necessarily in your thing about, but to what you kind of just talked about, it's interesting that the movie kind of presents the ending, right? And the ultimate thing of what's going to happen, it tells you that it's a point of view. 
So it, yeah. I don't necessarily think that it's heaven or hell. What it seems like is that there is a constant, and just based off of the way that you look at it, it depends on the way that you perceive it. So I don't necessarily know that he went to heaven so much as he went to a place where his mind went to the positive viewpoint of his current constant instead of yeah, the I mean, we could always look at it that if he had come back, he would have just been in incredible pain, and he probably would have ended up dying of some other thing. You know, yeah, and he just chose to die. He I could just have been don't... like the soldier in Metallica's one, which is based <laughs> off of some story I can't remember, but it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that it, if you just look at it as free will doesn't exist, so I can just sit here, you were always on the path to just sit there. I know, and that's the kind <laughs> of weird play point of it, but again, operating under the auspices of free will at least lets you go out and do the stuff that would inevitably let everything else happen anyway. And at least you're not just sitting there being, even if you were always meant to be, at least you're not sitting there just being bored. (laughs) I I was reading this thing about how there is like a less than, less than, less than one chance that you would ever be born. Just the fact that you were born alone, the amount of coincidences that that takes (laughs) shows in a lot of like, you're <sighs> fuck I don't want to say this because it's gross but I'm going to say it because it illustrates my point like your father has to come at the exact millisecond to have you like think about just the perfect timing it took on that on that end just so that you were born and that's exactly what my point is just the exact how everything has to be perfect the fact that i just dropped my pen right now and i will definitely not pick it up and when i step (laughs) on it tomorrow and i fuck my foot up that's what i'm saying it's all the small things you know that blink 182 song i was just i I wanted someone to continue the the lyrics but i couldn't remember what they were so i just lost that (laughs) whole thread miss you miss you yeah there you go same song you idiot sorry it's only what i know exactly down the train (laughs) <laughs> right on down the drain. I don't know. Okay, I could guys. continue to rant about this. So hey, either close fine. the episode or give me all if the leash in the world. In the ideas of free will and want to talk to Chris more about it, hit him up <laughs> at Chris. <laughs> what is it? Figs two one k. Figs two one k. No Chris at go. all. <laughs> yeah, no, no Chris. Just Figs two one k on Twitter and just tell him he's wrong or tell him he's right or tell him that you're interested in hearing more. You listening to this podcast is the Was reason that you are going to. DM me and I'm going to change your life. But you can't change their life because it was always going to happen. You didn't change anything, Chris. Right. They were always going to DM me (laughs) and I was always going to make a vast impact on them as a mentor. You know, them with their followers and me with 30 people following my Twitter. I am going to mentor them and all this stuff. All right. Well, you can become a sensei and that's all good. (laughs) But I think we are at the point where we got to rate this bitch and figure out what we're going to be watching next week. So, I'm going to start this thing off with following the same round table we've been going and start with Mr. Chris. What do you give this movie? Uh, I gave it four and a half stars. But, well, that is very high. That's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. Cheater. But you were always going to give it a four and a half. So. Yeah, I rated it a four and a half like three hours ago. So <laughs> you, you rated it a four and a half before you ever watched it because it happened yeah. in the future timeline. <laughs> right, exactly. The, all the movies that I've seen in my life have brought me to the point where I was willing to give Jacob's Ladder four and a half stars. You know, this is a, it's endlessly fun to just exist in that little range of, but it was always going to happen. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, think about. Oh my God! See, you can't no, just no, move no. on, or I'm going to keep talking about it. I will move because I haven't on even brought go up to, Deja Vu. We're going to Mr. Blake here. Blake, what do you think about the movie, man? Would you rate it? I gave it three originally, but I think I'm going to give it three and a half. Okay, Ooh, we Strong, got a bump. Solid. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Three and a half is what got my daughter here, so you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> three and a half seconds. <laughs> Sure, yeah, that's the sure. one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the one. I will say, even when Blake doesn't give something five stars, he still finds a way to put a five in his ratings. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I would have given it 3.4, but it wouldn't let me. Uh, but, hey, it's always that way, though. You were always meant to give things yeah. fives in their things, so it's, it's All good. Right, Joshua. Josh is the last <laughs> one here. <laughs> yes, I gave this film four stars. I, I was trying to find uh, this. What? What? Out of five stars? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> great listener over here. I, I was trying to find this uh, Roger Ebert quote that I thought I saw while I was researching this movie that was like, it's the best movie of the decade. And I was like, damn, I'm hyped for this movie. And then I was slightly disappointed after reading it, but I still enjoyed it. So four stars. That's a really hard thing to live up to. And if there's anything, as somebody who has, you know, like goals to hopefully create something that goes on to be popular. It is increasingly, I think the one thing I would imagine all artists are probably scared of is for someone to say it's the best movie of anything. Mm. Because the problem with that is that it sets expectations that are impossible to keep. (laughs) Well, the problem with that is that this came out in the 90s and so did Scream. So... Well, this is definitely a better movie than Scream. Okay, well, fuck off. (laughs) What's the correlation? (laughs) I guess Courtney Cox could have stood to be in this movie and you would have liked it more, huh? Yes, if like she was hair. Jacob, I would have liked it more. <laughs> mm. Good to know. Cox's ladder. I would have wanted her to have the same <laughs> shitty bangs. <laughs> hey, that was Scream Three. Okay. Hey, here's the thing about Scream Three, right? That was defensive. The bangs. What, what time? <laughs> what time did Scream Three come out? I love the bangs. Uh, Six thirty. <laughs> <laughs> what year did Scream Three come out? I'm looking it up. I'm not sure. 2000 so not the 90s was, it was after friends but not quite before the end i wonder if scream 3 was technically a teaser for the fact that monica gets married to chandler bing and in that movie she's got bad bangs you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying anyway <laughs> you want to know something really weird about scream 3 it was written by a guy named kruger it was directed by wes craven who That's directed nightmare on elm street that's interesting damn Fun All right. fact of the day. Dream team. <laughs> I think that there Hello. is... <laughs> I, I got to give my... Uh, me being uh, one of the final nights of the poorly constructed roundtable. Yes. Um, I have to give my rating for this movie. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, actually, I, I, I enjoyed it way more than I expected, even going into it. And again, existing in that area of quotes and people talking about things potentially setting expectations that are really hard to meet i'm glad i did not read a a quote saying it was the best movie of the decade i'm glad i just i heard from a lot of people that it was really good Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's really good it's a lot easier to meet than best movie of the decade uh so also when the 90s is the first year of a decade so you know 1990s (laughs) like you're giving this very prematurely that's just all I'm going to say. If it was 89, <laughs> if that movie came out in 89 and he was like, best movie of the decade, I'd be like, okay, cool. You have all of the reference points you need to, <laughs> to try and give it that. Right. Um, well, beforehand, he knew that he 
would have already raided it. Always, yeah. Yeah, it was always going to happen that way. He actually knew yeah. before he even watched the movie that he was going to say it was one of the best movies of the decade. So that's really good. Um, all right, so my rating for this actually sits squarely alongside uh, Josh, or it did originally four, uh, but actually with talking with chris i actually think i want to bump this movie up too i want to but i'm going to hold restraint and actually do not do that once and have this just be a four i really enjoyed the movie Ah. it was great fun i would totally watch it again and there's part of me that wants to give it a 4.5 but let's just be honest i was always going to give it a 4.0 so (laughs) true all right oh wait wait Mm? do i hear a conch phone ringing Uh, hello 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 my name is father manatee oh hi father manatee uh does your name happen to be jacob when you're not going by father yes yes it does do you by chance have a ladder uh i don't have feet so no I, I, i don't i have a rope you have a rope that's also yeah. really good i mean i don't know manatees have little fins also hey shout out yeah. to you father manatee that you have a monk that just sits in your monastery underwater and does great monk music so i'm, I'm really appreciative of that yeah i'm really yeah. glad i found him at the comedy club <laughs> so uh father manatee as it were what brings you to call us this fine evening? Are you calling to discuss uh, Jacob's Ladder, the 1990 horror film? Yes, well, I was uh, doing my prayers, and uh, <laughs> I, the Lord told me that y'all were discussing this movie, so I decided I would uh, call in. Oh, actually, our our buddy Chris Figs, he Hi. has determined that you could not decide anything. Uh, it, you were always going to call, so just well, just is, to let you know that I that is to, true. Uh, yeah. One one sixteen a.m. is usually when I speak to my Lord and Savior God, the tea, the manatee, God of tea, the manatee. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> You're welcome, man. <laughs> okay, well, hey, uh, uh, it sounds like you've watched the movie. So, uh, can you can you tell us? Are you a big fan? uh i I am a big fan um do do you climb the ladder or do you throw it down like this is wrestlemania well see us manatees are a little different due to our anatomy um hold on it wouldn't be wrestlemania i'm sorry father manatee what do they call the matches where it's the briefcase at the top of the ladder uh money in the bank money in the bank there we go thanks figs uh yep yeah sure great (laughs) job figs <laughs> uh, all right so but, yeah do you treat yeah. this as if this movie is money in the bank or is this wrestlemania for you uh it's a little bit of money in the bank i guess the thing is for manatees we got a re-release like a localized version for the ocean mm. uh, it was called uh jacob's uh slip and slide <laughs> and that, that makes a lot more sense for us because we could just slide down it yeah yeah, yeah it's called jacob's shoot yeah, you know, it, it's got <laughs> a big picture of us. Yeah, it's a big picture of a Six Flags water slide. Oh, like Slitterbond? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice, man. That's really cool. All right, well, if if you had to give a nice, uh, you know, manatee, midweek manatee seal of approval, what mm-hmm. would you give this thing, Father Manatee? 
I would give it uh, five prayers out of five. Hey. Five prayers out of five. All right. Good to hear from you, Father Manatee. Keep things going good down in the sea. And uh, all right, well, all right. you know what? You were always yeah. going to. So I don't even got to tell was. you that. You know better than I do. Yeah. Okay, well, it's good hearing from you. Uh, thanks for calling into the show like you do every week, you know, or like you and your, your lineage do. We have so many great midweek manatees, and we just we're spoiled for choice. So thanks, man, and we'll, we'll hopefully we'll see one of you guys next week, okay? Yes, of course. Uh, may uh, God of tea, the manatee, bless you. Yes, same, same to you. May God of tea be with you. All right, fellas, I think it is time to wrap this thing up now that we've gotten the phone in from the midweek manatee who gave it <laughs> his five prayers out of five prayers seal of approval. Um, He's got a great voice. He really does, you know, and I <laughs> Velvet. Mean, I've got to call and see who his monk guy is because I think I've decided that I'd really love to have a monk just follow me around with a cathedral <laughs> reverb and just, oh. I feel so, like it would it would make things creepier, right? kind of like how i've always argued that flashlights actually make the dark creepier like i feel like having that shirt it's a hundred percent and people think it's wrong i'd rather be in the pitch black than have just a little bit of vision in the pitch black that's terrifying well the problem with flashlights is that they inherently can't be all the light you need so instead you're focusing too much light on one area which makes the other dark more dark yeah yeah right And just think about actually think about playing the forest lately is the perfect example of turning the flashlight on yeah. is actually worse than the lighter because <laughs> it's focused light. The lighter yeah. is more broad spectrum because it's not being focused in one direction and exactly. it actually makes everything around you darker besides where the light's being shined. Exactly. Fuck Game, Games are reality, you know. Absolutely. I don't live in the real world. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, I think it is time to, to close the shop up and let everybody know that we'll see them next week. But remember, if you want to follow us over on social media, you can hit Figs up for all of his um, free Wait. will discussions at Figs21K. You can always hit up Josh at Android is a Loser or mm-hmm. find Josh and or Blake uh hitting it up on the old midweek manatee twitter which is at matinee underscore midweek and blake what's yours this is pope something 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 (laughs) p-o-b-s-t underscore blake underscore nine two if as if it couldn't get any more complicated thanks Blake. it's literally Um, my name how's that complicated underscore a-o-l-x capital x lowercase x what movie will we be watching next week (laughs) well uh first of all you are correct that we live in a society and second of all, the movie that we will be watching, uh, the year was 1979. And oh, the is it Boogie Nights? How dare you? I would never bring <laughs> that sacrilege upon our fucking selection oh. here. No, I actually have never seen Boogie Nights. I've been meaning to watch it. I don't even know when Boogie Nights came out. 97. <laughs> I was way off. <laughs> Same numbers. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> I, I'm dyslexic. Just let it go. Yeah. For sure. You did it right. Good job, bro. Uh, we are watching Monty Python's Life of Brian. Oh, my okay. God. Yes. It is on Netflix. Sweet. Never seen it. And I've never seen it. I love all the other Monty Python stuff I've seen. And it's just like, <laughs> what am I doing with my life if I haven't watched Life of Brian? So we're watching that. I've only seen Holy Grail, and it's good. Oh, yeah, Holy Grail is really good. I think Holy Grail is probably better than Life of Brian, but here's the thing. All the things that you liked about Holy Grail, I'm sure, you're going to see in Life of Brian in just a very different way. Mm-hmm. So, More coconuts. 
<laughs> all right there we go boys all right so we will be watching monty python's life of python and apparently or life of python life of brian <laughs> <laughs> that's the porn parody monty brian life's a python <laughs> life's a Pi- yeah. life is a python <laughs> as they say but you can find it on netflix so hopefully most of you have netflix and it makes it an easy thing to check out but hey maybe some of you lucky bastards already own it and just watch it from the comfort of your own collection but to wrap things out and end things up you can find us over over on Twitter, you can find Figs at Figs21K. You can find Android is a loser at Android is a loser, Mr. Joshua Lago. Correct. You can find Blake at P-O-B-S-T underscore Blake underscore nine two in case you need all of his information to steal his uh, identity. You have half <laughs> of it there. Um, and of course, you can follow the show itself at matinee underscore midweek. You can find us on Facebook if you want to participate with stuff there uh, with just the same thing, midweek matinee. Find us easily there. And lastly, if you would like to support the show with more than just your time, you can head over to Nartech or patreon.com slash Nartech rather and consider giving as little as a dollar per month to directly support the show and what we're doing as well as get episodes of the show early. We put them out the Friday before they go up so you get them five days in advance. We call out our Patreon at the end of every episode as a huge thank you for what they allow us to do without having to dig into our own pockets and of course we just appreciate you guys and it's fun to give y'all credit for helping support what we do so with that said we will guys we'll see you guys next week this has been midweek matinee oh thanks to our patrons Eric McAllister, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villalobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Kevin Bacon Bits, Joshua Largo, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanland, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, El Chabib, Jason Clendenning, and lastly, Tyler B. Again, if you would like to support us, head over to patreon.com slash Nartech. Thank you. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> it is not Max Landis, um, thankfully. Though also it could be because the picture is of a furry. And if I imagine anything of Max Landis... and congratulations you have discovered the secret message midweek matinee is produced and edited by christopher figueroa music is by joshua lago thank you for your support and for enjoying all these movies with us and lastly please send your itunes reviews to old pink care of the funny farm